Girls who make it hard to love them. Why are they hard to love? Because of the pain they keep in their hurt lockers. Some guy hurt them. Some guy lied to them. Some guy betrayed them. It's not that they don't want to love. It's that they're callous to it. They've erected walls, put up blockades to stop themselves from feeling new love. Because of new love, there's always new risk. The risk that you could have unfulfilled visions, expectations, unrequited desire. You can only ever be where you are right now. Bottles your podcast. It's the major investment in your life, right? The journey will always be your journey. Yo, what's good, my friends? It's Adam here, and welcome to the Bold Dojo Podcast. We're really the home of self-cultivation, a place where we can just dive into social dynamics, where we can understand how best to interact with other human beings and learn about ourselves in relation to others. If you have any questions or personal stories that you would like to get my feedback on, you can always send them through at bolddojo.com, B-O-W-L-D-O-J-O.com, any one of the contact forms there. Or you can also reach out to me on social media, on Instagram at uitang1, double O-I, Tang1, or on Facebook, which is just Facebook, The Adam Ui. You guys can find all the links down below to that. Also, if you're not signed up to the free weekly email newsletter, The Bowl Sip, you can do so over at bolddojo.com. Just a quick sip of Social Dynamics, a little cheeky article. It's free every single week. Comes out on Fridays, Australian time, and also some other sexy updates from the rest of the universe and any other things that I think you guys need to know about that will not get censored over on social media. If you'd like to book one-on-one coaching sessions, create action plans, and overcome limiting beliefs to help you move forward in your life across any area of the temple, whether it be purpose, physical, mental, or social development, you can reach all of that through bolddojo.com. Send me an email there if you're not quite sure, but you can check out the Bowl Coaching Memberships or just once-off sessions. And I look forward to diving deeper with you. You can also pick up the Guided Meditation Eternal Energy on bowldojo.com. A nice five-track, eh, we call it an album, but it's actually more of a course. Just diving deep into who you are and evolving beyond. If you'd like to help support this podcast, you can donate anything that you wish through the PayPal link, which is paypal.me forward slash adamui, A-D-A-M-O-O-I. Or also directly on bulldojo.com in the Bulldojo podcast section. There's a direct link through the website if you want to donate through that as well. And anything that you guys donate is always most appreciated and just goes back to help supporting this show and everything that I'm doing here at the bowl. So thank you very much. Without further ado, let's dive into today's show. Yosha! Girls will make it hard to love them. Does a man's head in sometimes? Does a man's heart in sometimes? When everything you thought was going great, everything you thought was going to plan but then the plan revealed itself to be that this was not to be we started off this podcast my friends in a very deep emotional space i've been out in the garden just marinating on what it's meant to come across female beings that have just made it extraordinarily hard to love them to to be with them both in macro both in micro despite the levels of interest that they might show you back and then Flipping back onto the other side, thinking about all the times where it just seems so effortless. What are the differences? What can we do about this? How should one walk the journey and the path of someone who is making it very difficult to emotionally connect with them, both on a physical, mental, spiritual level, playing paradigm? If those connections aren't happening, is it always your fault? Is it anyone's fault? How much time should we give people? How much trust should you give someone? 
to what degree do you set up an investment of emotions within this person? I talked about girls that make it hard to love them in that little intro piece there. There's often the want for something that was not fulfilled. When we set up emotional investments in people, you know, really early on, I'm sure you can all relate to this, very early on in your relationships, you start to form ideas based on patterns. The patterns of what I've experienced in my previous relationships and also potential, let's say fantasies, let's say fantasy, not even potential, fantasies is the right word, fantasies of where this could go, whether this means future children, future farms together, <laughs> farms, investment farms down Tasmania, you know, lives built together, houses built together, journeys had together, travels had together, foods tasted together, love felt with each other, these fulfillments. But when they're not fulfilled, when the return on investment was not made, people can struggle to let go of those, can make it hard to love someone. If that, their pre-sown ideas of what a relationship should be, could have been, wanted it to be, was not fulfilled, another blockade can be formed. Well, it's just never going to be the way that I want it to be. So I only let someone new in. If a girl's been physically damaged by a man before, can make it particularly hard to love her again. Not because she doesn't want love, but again, because she's just being callous to it now. Because the risk of letting a new love in, which, you know, by all equated measures, is a due risk. You don't know what, how, what or how someone is going to treat you. You don't know how, or for a woman, she might not be, she's right in thinking that, I don't know if this guy is going to hurt me again, betray me again, lie to me again, if that's what her experiences have been. As human beings, we have, we have many bias. We have recency bias. We have selective focus bias in which that we look at what's happened to us on the one-to-one and we form our worldview around that you know if you've been with four or five guys that have treated you real bad or you've just had four or five partners that treated you real bad your worldview is likely to take shape as a result of those experiences unless you are in the position of someone like myself that works with many different people across many different backgrounds of different racial types of different social types of different development stages different uh socioeconomic backgrounds and i get to see all the different ways relationships play out and how people deal with their hurt lockers how people deal and just not even hurt lockers but the experiences they have also very much on the positive end if you don't have a wide bank of understanding of what relationships can be, what they can manifest as, and you're just very much focused in, narrowly focused into what you've experienced and what your maybe close circle of friends and family have experienced, that's very largely what's going to make up your worldview. And so it's very easy to form a callous shell to make it hard for someone to love you, to become that ice turtle shell if you are going to pre-sew ideas of who people are, what certain stereotypes of people are and some some women in particular even go as far and get so hard to the point where they just cast all men as vile and aggressive and untrustworthy and so should not touch should not go anywhere near biohazard that's very extreme it's not most women it's not most women for sure but you know uh, you see very radical feminists can fall into this particular worldview and mindset and it's not something that they will it's not something that they can't move beyond or evolve beyond. It's just where they are now. 
we've organically segued or just dived into the contents of this podcast about me even setting up the intro or why we're talking about this today. It's a very emotional topic because I said I was out on the grass before in the sun just contrasting girls that make it easy to love them versus girls that make it hard to love them. I want to unpack a lot of anecdotal experiences, a lot of my stories, unpack what I've been seeing, not only from my one-to-one, but also from clients as well and what they've been experiencing. And I think if you're a guy listening to this, or if you're a girl listening to this, you're both going to benefit. Of course, I'm going to be speaking from a male perspective, but you know, there's so much to be learned from girls that can make it easy. And what, what allowed for the setup, the environmental setup, what characterizes someone who makes it easy to love them and how that plays out. And when we say girls that make it hard to love them, you know, this is really human principles. This, I'm obviously a guy, so I'm going to be I'm a heterosexual male. So I'm going to be talking from the male to female perspective. But you could reverse this and you could play this in gay relationships. You could play it in any relationship. It's human principles. So my friends, welcome to today's Bordeaux podcast. It's great to have you here. There's a lot of chaos going on in the world at the moment, and I'll leave it at that. I don't want to make, I want this space today to just be about social dynamics. I want today to be about social dynamics. We're not going to talk about anything else outside of this world. I think it's important to have places where you can come, where we just focus in on one thing. If you guys are new here, don't forget to, if you're on YouTube as well, drop a thumbs up on the video if you get something from this. Drop me a comment with any feedback, any big realizations you might have throughout the session. And don't forget to share this with a friend as well if you get something from this. Also, if you're not signed up to the free weekly email newsletter, boldojo.com, there's a little uh, bowl sip box there. That's the name of the email, the bowl sip. You can put your email in. It's free. And just once a week, I send out a little article on some social dynamics and some of the sexy updates from the rest of the universe. And yeah, I think that's all the plugs for now. So let's do this. I've been very curious as I've been getting older, particularly the last three years. This is prior to the whole COVID situation. Very curious to, as to why it seems to be more frequent, more apparent that females are becoming harder to love. Not saying that guys aren't. I'm not a girl. I'm not. I'm not interested in guys. Though I saw her. I can't speak on that. You have to go to a female social, social dynamics coach to get that perspective. You're not going to get it from me, just because I'm not sleeping with dudes. <laughs> but okay, now that we got that out of the way, is if you didn't already know, I've been noticing over the last three years, particularly. I've just turned 28 this month, a couple of weeks ago. And I've just, I was thinking about it just this morning. Yeah, how long has it been that this has been quite notable? It's really the last three years, I would say. So over the last three years, I've just been noticing more and more, coming across more and more girls that are harder to love. What does this look like? I said it can appear at all stages, both macro and micro. In the micro, it can be simply from having met her on the street, having met her in a bar, in a club. And everything went well in the initial interaction, but then she makes it increasingly difficult after that. And when I talk about things went well, I mean really well in terms of like the connection was on, we'd arranged, everything was looking like it was panning out very well. You know, she's responding very well through logistics, through the texting, but then we get out on the day two. And then when she rocks up on the day two, and for those who are not, not clued in on what a day two is, just the first date after you guys met. 
second time he's seeing each other. And she just makes it increasingly difficult to connect with her in a very micro sense. Won't look you in the eyes. Contradictingly shy to how she first appeared when you had first met her. What I'm pointing towards there is that now that we're in a date space, her behavior is very different to when we were in an initial interaction space. With the initial interaction, let's say we had met her at a bar, she had been very loose, very carefree, happy to elaborate, happy to open up. She was teasy, testy, challenging. You know, feminine energy was on light and fired up. But then now all of a sudden it changes. The moment that you get into a one-on-one isolated space and that maybe there's this idea of this packaging, not that I encourage any of you to package your human experiences with labels, but, you know, that's typical society to think of this as a date. But I would never say to a girl, hey, want to go out on a date or we're on a date. I would never give her this label idea. It's just, hey, no, let's go chill. Let's go on an adventure together. Let's get to know each other. Always founded upon, let's get to know each other. But that's my perspective. That's my mindset. Doesn't necessarily mean that's hers. And what I find of girls that make it hard to love, just at step one, is that make it hard to love them, is that when they get out into a date, they change who they are. They change their behavior. You know them to be something else. You know them to be holding back. You feel that they're holding back. They're not giving you all of them. You can see this in the eye contact. You guys know I'm very big on eye contact. I do most of my communication with eye contact. If you ever get in person with me, and I've had this mentioned to me many times with people that have never met me before, and they'll just randomly pop up in mid-conversation, or if not mid-conversation, after our conversation, and just mention it, that your eyes were magnetic, it was hard to look away, it was very intense, I feel like I get lost in your eyes, I can feel your presence you know, I've been getting these comments since I was like 18 purely because of the way that I hold uh, unrelenting eye contact. I, I don't want to break a moment. Don't want to miss a moment. I don't want to miss a moment. I've been able to stare through the windows to which someone would understand another's soul. The eyes are so big to me. And so when you're just beginning, blossoming a new romantic experience with a female and she's not willing to give you her eyes well, then that already signals some pain. It signals pain on some level. Where the pain comes from, we're going to have to find out. It can be very psychological in the sense that it's all... I need to pause there for a second. What I was trying to differentiate between is that some girls are just... They're afraid to look you in the eyes because of what that would convey in terms of I don't want to let this guy know that I'm actually that interested. They're playing a hedge in a sense. They're trying to hedge in case this goes wrong. I don't want to let him know that I'm actually that interested. I don't, I don't want to, that, that's one, that's, we've just opened up a whole different baboo right now. We've opened up a whole different baboo shoot. Girls that play too shy, girls that play too cold versus girls that play too hot. Damn, it's not actually what I wanted to get into right now, but it's such an important point. What I was getting on is that you can also have girls that just won't give you their eyes purely because of a very, very almost PTSD-like symptom manifestation of which that when they were raped, when they were abused, they had a very visceral contact with the abuser's eyes. And so that they have this now gun-shy 
to looking into someone's eyes, particularly in a romantic space or a space that had a sexual connotation because if she was sexually abused and that she was forced to stare into the eyes or that the eyes of her abuser was right there with her. Now, as she goes forward into her future romantic experiences, it makes it very difficult for her to want to bring those windows back, bring that source of connection back. Because the last time or her least most aggressive and deeply embedded negative negatively associated experience with connecting eyes was in such a traumatic experience. Dealt with this before. I've said to girls before, why is it that you're so shy? What do you mean so shy? Your eyes, you don't look me in the eyes. Ah, well, well. And you can always tell when you've stepped on a hurt locker, when you've gone banging on on the locker door, when you've come across a stitch that you didn't know was there, on a wound you didn't know was there, when you get that hesitation on a very seemingly almost mundane question. When I say mundane, very light, not weighty. It was not weighty for you to say, hey, why are you so shy? Look at me in the eyes. Especially if you say of that kind of tonality, it's not interrogative. It's not aggressive in any sense. It's just, hey, you know, I just noticed you don't really kind of look me in the eyes much. And I noticed this, I will always bring this up. I will always bring this up on day two's immediate, anytime actually. If it's even an initial interaction and that's, uh, I've had several guys message me, contact me about what to do. What to do in that situation when, particularly in an in- initial interaction, when a girl is not willing to look you in the eyes. It's a lot rarer. I don't I haven't come across it that many times, but I have come across it a couple of times and I just call it out. But you call it out in a way that brings them forward. You could shorten that to calling them forward, which is very politely and gently just saying, because you don't know what you're about to step in. That's why I always take a slightly more empathetic and gentler kinder addressing of this because of my experiences that typically girls that avoid allowing you to love them through their eyes have been abused through their eyes. And so you want to approach this gently in which that, hey, I just noticed you kind of struggle with eye contact with me. Is there any particular reason why? You know, I just noticed you don't really like to look me in the eyes. Is there any, is there something wrong with my eyes? You play it off as a joke and you'll sense, you'll get a sense for it immediately if you are in tune and present with her. Does she hesitate? Does she look over, look around even more? Does she tighten up in her body language? Cross her arms, cross her legs a little bit tighter, or at least just put her legs together. You know, maybe recluse, maybe retract to take a step back in a sense, if not in a psychological sense, but also physically as well. You'll notice it if you step on a stitch you didn't know into a wound you had no possible idea of. You sense it from her. And that's when you know, okay, I don't need to push this. If that's an initial interaction, don't need to push it. If it's on a day two though, how about that? What if it's you guys are on a date together and it's just becoming almost impossible to form a connection with this girl because she's just not willing to give eyes? Let me just take a step out here for a second. I, I've, there's a couple of things we're pinning up on this little bamboo framework. We're currently in the depths, micro depths of what it means, girls that make it hard to love them. We did tap on a subject before though, like a much bigger subject of girls who play too cold and they play too cold from a position of not wanting to show you interest, not because they're not interested in you, but because they don't want you to think that 
you are so interested to the point where, oh, what if this guy was to actually come in and give me his all? What would that mean for me? Now I'm getting too deep. It's like, ah. So we get to that a little bit later on. I just don't want to lose that because that was a point I really enjoyed. Well, it's a point I want to talk about. But EVT is something I wanted to get into. Eyes, vocals, and touch. EVT. When we're talking about signs, signs of connection between two human beings. Eyes, vocals, and touch. Eyes, vocals, touch, EVT, burn it into your brain. It's a training wheel when you're first learning to go out onto dates, first learning to understand social dynamics, to look at, okay, of these three lights right here, which ones are on, which ones are off. If things aren't going well, you're going to see the lights go off, either in the eyes, in the vocals, or in the touch. If things are on, you'll see all things, most of it, at least two out of three will be on. Had pause there for a second. Yeah, it's like sometimes it's a process. Not even sometimes. It is always a process. And sometimes it takes a lot of time is where I was going with that. It's a process that takes a lot of time for those lights to click on for certain people based on their past history, their trauma, their context coming in. We did a podcast on this, uh, on the EVT. I can't remember which one it is, but it's in season six of Social Q&A where I heavily addressed the EVT. Oh, hot versus cold sexual energy. Social Q&A, hot versus cold sexual energy. I go much deeper into it there. If someone's eyes are not coming on, we move to the next. Okay, if we can't get a connection through someone's eyes, let's try and get a connection through vocals. Okay, we're kind of going to have to go into it. Vocals, what does it look like to connect through vocals? When a human being connects with you in their vocals, they will not only mirror, but they'll also intensify. So if you were to pick up the energy and you were throw out a test, let's say that you're sitting there, you're, you're walking, guys walking through the park or you sat down on some grass down by the lake, you're out on this date and you're noticing that she just will not connect with the eyes. Well, let me see if she'll connect with the vocals. So you intentionally either deepen or intensify your vocals in some way. For a guy, the easiest one is just to deepen, deepen and slowen. So now we can look at pace as well. We can look at tone, we look at pitch and pace. Uh, we'll just keep it simple. We'll just look at tone and look at pace. So you could drop the tone, deepen the tone. So if you were, you know, previously talking kind of casual, you know, John, what's going on? Go for the Mac is run. Ah, shit. You know, you just normal chit chat tone. That's chit chat tone is the way I'm talking right now. I mean, you drop the tone, something a little more sensual. Tell me about your family. Tell me about your dreams. Tell me about what lights you up in this world. When you're alone, where does your mind go to? Where do you go to to be alone? You see, when I drop the tone, things get way more sensual. Not necessarily sexual. Sexual requires all three to be playing some role. It's very hard to connotate pure sexual sexuality just through tone. There needs to be the context of how is he looking me in the eyes? How is he touching me? Is he holding my hand while he says that? If I say to you, if I say to a girl as we're sitting down there by the lotus pond, she's sitting next to me, and all of a sudden we were going chit chat, you know, it's that chit chat level. Yeah, that bird's, you know, you know, you know what that bird, that bird's average flying rate is thirty six miles per hour. You know, <laughs> that's like the chit chat level you previously had. And then all of a sudden, and as you're doing this, you notice, okay, I'm not getting eyes connecting. Let me try and connect vocals because she would just will not look me in the eyes, making it hard to love. Let me 
see if I, what will she do? It's really just a test. It's a, it's a testing, it's a measuring, it's a, a calibration mechanism in which that when I drop my vocal tonality, will she mirror? Not that you would expect a girl to drop necessarily her tone in the same way that a guy does, but let's have a look at how this plays out. If a woman is responsive to a man dropping his tone, and I said, let's take it back there for a second. <laughs> I didn't even finish that point. Let me pause that. I didn't finish the point before, which is that sexual connotation needs all three, which is that if I had just said, so tell me about your family. What's your relationship like with your family? Drop that tone, go more sensual with it. That was the differentiation I was making. The difference between sensuality and sexuality, they don't necessarily infer each other. That's a great point right there. They don't necessarily infer each other. They can, but it requires the context of all three. Because if I said, hey, you know, tell me about your dreams in a nice deep tone, but I'm not looking her in the eyes when I say that, or I've got very fleety eyes when I say that, or potentially my eyes are just closed, there's very little sexuality is going to be inferred through that. As opposed to if I did say that, and I was staring down the barrel of her eyes. And if I was holding her hand, caressing her neck, playing with her hair. Now, with so what you just saw through there is all three. You just saw eyes, vocals, and touch all put together to create a sexual connection. Okay. Okay, now let's move on from that. I just want to make sure we finish that point. Just making sure that you guys know that it's not just simply sexual connection is formed just through changing one thing. It comes through all three. So, we're looking at a response. So, if a if you've successfully been able to light up, let's say that the eyes weren't connecting and we chose that next path, let's try the tone. How would that look like if it was successful? If she was able to open up through her vocals? Because a woman is not necessarily going to drop her tone, but... We then look at pace. I said before we can look at pace. We can look at a few things actually. We can look at strength. Strength and pace. I was going to use the word aggressiveness. You can look at that as well. You can look at strength and pace in which that when a woman starts to turn on a little bit of a more sensual, either sensual or sexual depending on the context, in terms of her tonality, it's very much going to get softer. Context dependent, obviously, if you guys are literally in an animalistic, naked wrestling match, it's probably not going to get soft. It depends on the woman, actually. Depends on the woman. Depends on her sexual appetite. But let's just talk about generalities here. When a man drops his tone and gets more sensual with it, what you'll see in reflection is that the woman is going to get softer. The way that she speaks is going to get more lingering. Words are going to trail off. Vows are going to trail off. They're going to... Invite a lot of space. You're going to invite invita- invitation for opportunity for, if not silence itself, which is key, absolutely key when it comes to creating sexual connection. Silence, my God. We're going to talk about this a little bit later. Silence itself is such a powerful motivator of sexuality. But the lingering, the lingering and the softness, as I talk about the pace, the pace is what refers to lingering is that now it's not like a machine gun, kind of like the way that I'm trying to talk right now. No, it's like, okay, so what's your dreams? Tell me about your dreams. What lights you up in this world? Well, a little softer tone. Well, 
when I was a little girl, I guess I wanted to ride horses, but my parents always told me it was not going to be practical. So, you know, I just, I just, uh, some of my dreams kind of just fell away, you know. Lots of silence, lots of linger, softer tone. That right there to me is a green light. That right there to me is showing that as a direct response to me dropping my vocal tonality, deepening, centralizing the pace and the tone of what I was saying, uh, she has mirrored and reflected that in her own way. Not necessarily in a very literal sense. When we talk about social dynamics, mirroring, the concept of mirroring, it can be literal in the sense of that when comfort is being shown between two human beings, when trust and comfort have been established, you will see a literal mirroring of body language in terms of you just like, it's just literally a copy, a dual copy, the way that they sit back on their hips, the way that they are crossing their arms, the way that they even go to touch certain parts of themselves. One person touches their head, the other person touches their head, who are typically the person who dictates this is the leader in the interaction, typically speaking. So, so that it can be literally, don't get confused on that. But with vocal tonality, I'm just covering for those who get too stuck in the weeds with these things. Don't, don't think that it was unsuccessful because her voice didn't get you know, deeper or didn't exactly match yours is what I'm saying. She'll, she'll do it in her own way. But what we're looking for when it comes to connecting that light of vocal sexual connection or at least the beginning sensual and then can progress to sexual depending on how the other three come out. And remember, when we use the word sexual, we're not just talking, you've got to move beyond the connotation of penetration with sexual. When we're talking about sexual, we're talking about sexual energy. We're talking about, like on my guided meditation album, Eternal Energy. There's an entire track called Sexual Energy. It has very little to do with penetration. Sexual energy goes way deeper than that. It really is just the dance between masculine and feminine energy. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about sexual connection, sexually polarized. It's a good sign. It's a good sign when she can reflect and mirror her own adjustments in her own vocal tonality to get a little bit softer, get a little bit more lingering. Because what that signifies is that I see what you're doing here. Very subconscious. Of course, it's not conscious. Subconscious. I see what you're doing here. I feel what you're doing here and I approve of this. So I'll play in. I'll walk in with this dance with you. And it's a great sign to keep in. What if that doesn't happen though? What if you did go, hey, you know, Drop your tone, drop your pace, tell me about your dreams. And she doesn't reflect at all. She doesn't mirror back at all. She doesn't adjust hers at all. Well, then you've got another dead light. So now not only have you got eyes are off, vocals are off, the final one, the final one you can touch is touch. And I said that we were going to go into this, man. We are we got balls deep into this. But I think it's worth it because, listen, it's been a while since we've discussed some micro social dynamics. This, is, this lights me up. It's highly tactical shit. Like this is stuff that you can just go and apply literally today with anyone. So it's always good to revisit the fundamentals. So what's our final one, my friends? EVT, eyes, vocals, they're both dead. What's the final one? Touch. So touch at the gentlest level possible. The way that we begin the testing and the measuring and the calibration, acclimation to sexual touch is always at the most gentlest level what, what you would consider to be appropriate for a child. And remember, we're not talking when we use the word because we're trying to inspire sexual connection here, not with a child, absolutely not. <laughs> Don't get that confused. 
but we're trying to inspire sexual connection with this mature female being that we're with, we need to use the gentlest possible form first and then work our way up. We never want to start by assuming that a kiss on the cheek or a, t- or a play of her neck or a bear hug and throwing her around your shoulder is going to be acceptable. Yeah, for some girls, it is. And actually, the more experience that you get... But hang on a second. This is, that's what I'm saying. The experience. The more experience that you get, the more you have the capacity to look into her other signals to give you information as to whether and to what level of touch would be receptive. If she's not connecting on eyes and not connecting on vocals, then why would you assume that a more intense level of touch would somehow connect? You know, it's very irrational and you're going to get burnt. You're likely nine times out of 10, you're going to get burnt because that's, it's what her eyes and vocals are saying about her that needs us, requires us to be more calibrated in the way that we go to see can touch work. I want to give, I've, I've already given this story in that podcast, Hot versus Cold Sexual Energy, but I'll just give you guys one quick example here of how this works out. It was a date that I had a girl had with a girl who was an absolute ice turtle, made it very hard to love her. Uh, at the beginning of the day, we met up at a at the jetty at a at a beach, local beach here in Adelaide, South Australia, and she was just an ice turtle to begin with. wasn't like that beforehand when I first met her though. And then throughout the entire day, she, she would never look me in the eyes. She was very very restricted in her vocals didn't mirror any of my vocals. It wasn't until we were sitting on these rocks looking out over the sunset and that I started to play with her feet. I started to have foot wars with her feet, but she responded to that. And so you can see that's an appropriate level of touch. Just I remember just banging her foot with my foot and then ensuing a foot war with her. And while no other connection signs or lights of connection were lighting up sexually with her, the foot play was the first one. So that's why it's always worth to check whether she's just in her eyes, she's got something to do with her eyes, she's not good of eye contact for whatever the reason may be, she's not good of her vocal control for whatever the reason may be, whatever's going on within her, talk about the her lockers, uh, the stitches and the wounds, you know, whatever's led that to be. But let's check out on the final one. Okay, play over her foot, she responds, fantastic. All right, what would be the next step from that? Okay, I think from memories a while ago, you can go back and check the full podcast. From that, I progressed a whole bunch of things. We did, I did go down, go around to a bear hug after that and just holding her and just holding hands and that type of thing. And it didn't progress much more beyond that. That's as much as she couldn't handle. And that's fine. But it was absolutely better than not trying. Absolutely better than just assuming that she's going to be this lost cause, this uh, girl who's always going to be too hard to love. You know, it's a much deeper concept. That's a much more macro concept of, is it possible to change? Is it possible to see a girl change? That's such a typical mindset uh, of males. Is it possible to change her? No, it's, is it possible to see her change? Is it possible for her to change herself? Is it possible for her to go through a process of evolution in which that she would come to realize her own true nature, to understand it, to accept herself fully, and then to let go into what could be something new and to make herself easy to love as opposed to being hard to love? Absolutely. Absolutely, it is possible in the span of your relationship together, which, you know, we're talking about initial interactions here. So it's, we're talking about right from the get here. I'm not talking about years here. I'm talking about within the span of two, three, four, five dates. It is possible to see a girl wake up from the entrenchment of her hurt locker, to wake up from the entrenchment of her hurt locker, from her deeply seated, stitched up, wounded pain. 
is definitely possible to see a wake up from that and to go but maybe I know maybe this maybe this wound has already scarred over and maybe it's time to take these stitches out maybe the hurt locker has already expired haven't used that term before maybe it's expired maybe it's time to let it go often pain new pain is the form of instigation if not new pain the realization of that the pain that i hold right now is too great is often the instigation for letting it go however sometimes it can come from a positive light in which that just the awareness of what a new love could be something that is wholesome good trusting caring direct congruent and authentic Sometimes that light is enough to shine upon the pain that she currently holds and would then instigate her to let go of her own pain. It can come from many directions. Typically what I've seen from most human beings though is that they often need to just reach a point of which that it is now more painful. It is now more painful to continue holding on to this pain than to let it go. The pain of not changing is now greater. And we often don't change until that point is reached. That's for most human beings. But sometimes I've experienced this and hopefully you guys can reach a point in your lives where you could be you can experience this yourself as well in which that you just come across someone who's in deep pain. You know we talk about girls, particularly girls that make it hard to love them. They're in deep pain, you can feel it. You can you can sense them holding back on everything. Maybe, maybe we we talked about a bit of a hard case scenario in terms of you're not getting eyes, you're not getting vocals, not getting touch. But what if it's just not very enticing or deep? What if she does look me in the eyes, but it's kind of just not very often? Or she kind of does respond with the vocals, but it's not a lot. She does give me a little touch, but she'll hold my hand, but then she takes the hand away. It's it's So she's like on and off of it. She's, it's not very consistent. Sometimes when you come across someone like that and you just overwhelm them with how intense your freedom is, your ability to be free with not only your physical but mental and spiritual sexuality, that you can be this free, it often gives others permission to be free themselves. Sometimes people shy away. Sometimes people take that stimulus and they negatively interpret it and they go, well, this person's so free. Look at how closed off I am. I feel like shit. That makes me feel like shit. You can negatively, you can negatively self-interpret any stimulus in the same way that you can positively self-interpret that stimulus. And I guess that's that's something that I did mention in the intro. What if you're a guy that's just you feel like you've done everything you could for this girl? You literally feel like you've performed the very best you've ever performed. And I know that's it's very subjective, but if you just rate your performances and experiences with all your other previous partners or people you've had sexual connections with or tried to birth sexual connections with, this is definitely the best I've ever done. I don't feel like I've made any huge red flags and that if I was to send my story or if there was a, a bee on the wall or if there's a bee on my shoulder that was video recording my entire experience with this girl and the footage was sent to Adam and he could, on a third perspective, objectively break it down, I'm pretty sure he would not find any a-bomb red flags. If you feel like that's the case and you're still not getting that let go, she's still not able to be free with you, can definitely run a cord, 
run a cord and have your ship run aground in the ocean of emotions. Girls that make it hard to love them. One of the most difficult things to deal with is to accept that it doesn't matter what you did. At the end of the day, and what I'm referring to there is that as it should be inferred positively that no matter how well you performed at the end of the day, if she's not willing to let go of her pain, if she's not willing to free up that hurt locker to remove those stitches, you could have performed the very best you could have and this is not going anywhere. I've, ex- I've experienced this many, many times. There's so many anecdotes. There's so many stories that I could select any individual one and we could just go to town on all of them. But what I've been, I started off this segment with what I've been noticing over the past three years. This is like going a bit back, but this is actually where all of it started from, which is the last three years. When I was younger, when I was, let's say, 13 to, let's say 13 to 25, 13 to 25. The percentage of females that I would come across that make it hard to love them was very infrequent. It was like one to two out of 10, you know, 10 to 10, 20% was what we're talking about there. But as I got older, and what I'm not sure if this is just the state of the world, like I, I've been meditating over this for quite some time, which is because it's not that I'm not meeting girls and women that are easy to love. I do. I mean, a great proportion, but there's a good question. What proportion are we talking about here relatively? (sighs) That's a good question. I don't want to apply recency bias to this though, because if you were to take the last 10 girls I had sexual interactions with, I would say it's over 60%, maybe 70. What I'm talking about there is six or seven out of the last 10 girls I had a sexual interaction with made it hard to love them on some spectrum. You guys know me. I'm a very curious monkey. I'm a very curious ape. I hate not... I was going to say I hate not knowing. That's a part of that. I think we all hate not knowing. But it's more than that. It's that I have a deep discontent with not being able to understand why someone socially did what they did just because of the insatiable nature of being a social dynamic coach, in which that it's my profession to understand why human beings do what they do and how they execute and manifest those behaviors in their real world interactions, friends, family, business, etc., with all of the human beings. You know, a guide to human beings is what I'm about. I am a walking guide <laughs> to how human beings interact with other human beings. So I'm never just going to let it slide when a girl makes it hard to love her, I'll do everything I can in a subconscious sense or in at least a subcommunicated sense to try and figure out what's going on. And most of the time, that works out. So, so oh, ooh, 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 ooh. that's a good that's a good little topic. So I'm gonna have to explain how that's how that's performed. I'm sure you guys would be interested in that. How do you how do you find out a, the question that appears there? is how do you find out about a woman's hurt locker if she hasn't been willing to tell you? How to, how to find out where the locker is, how to get her to open up her locker without actually asking her to open up her locker. Okay, 
going to get into this? No, let's get into this. We'll come back to the larger topic. This is worth going into. The way to get a girl to open up her hurt locker without asking her to open up her hurt locker, and that is, by the way, the recommended way of going about it. I will always primary finding a way that is socially savvy, that is indirect about her hurt locker, which might sound like a little bit strange coming from me because almost everything I do is direct. But when it comes to very, very sensitive topics, when it comes to topics that we're going to be touching on, rape, sexual abuse, sexual molestation, we're talking about the betrayal of psychological trust on such deeply intense fibers that it just scars people, uh, I was going to say for life because that's the, that's the, that's the quote. That's that's what people say. That's the saying. But I don't really like that saying. Scarred for life. It infers that you you can't do something about it. So that's a different topic. We can get into that later. But what I'm saying here is that with subjects that are extremely sensitive, it is best to find a way a soft approach towards it, at least in my opinion, at this stage. I will never, what does that look like? I'll never just sit down with a girl if I can sense that her eyes, vocals, and touch her off and just say to her, hey, listen, have you been abused? I get the feeling that you've been abused. Tell me about this. Like, I'm never going to be like that. It's extremely socially unsavvy. It's extremely uncalibrated. Even if the intent is good, the way that you're coming about it is not good. It will be received very poorly. It will put them on the defensive. That's why when we're talking about approaching and broaching sensitive subjects, we need to employ some social savviness to disarm people, to show them that, hey, put down the spears, put down the shields, open up the gate. But you don't get someone to open up the gate and to put down the spears by rocking up on their village with your own spears and your own shields and your own catapults. In the sense of, and I, and I know that, and you were never intending to use those spears or to fire that catapult. It just happened. That's just how it appears. What you want to do is be that you want to come empty hands. You want to come empty handed. Let's look at a good example of how to do this. If I sense that when I'm coming up across a woman, when I'm coming up across a woman who is proving very hard to love, she just doesn't give me the eye contact. She doesn't reciprocate it. She doesn't reciprocate a vocal tonality. She does not reciprocate uh, physical touch either. She's just very, very closed off. Yet, this is not very much in align with the things that she says and the external action she takes in the sense of that she still wants to keep going on dates. She still wants the message. But when we're actually in person, she's just very, very difficult to love. The best way that I would approach this is by, of course, setting up the environmental space in which that there's reduced energetic noise, which I'm not watching Netflix while I bring up this conversation. I'm not just after she's got home from work and I say, hey, come meet me at the cafe. You know, it's we're going to time this so that we can set up for the botanics and chill. We're going to get into an energetic space where the noise is very low down by the ocean, down by the ocean, on the sand in the forests, in the mountains, in the parks, wherever you can be, down by the, down just down by the river, wherever you can get past some nature. That's where I want to set up this low energetic noise environment. I don't preload it. I'm not texting her saying, hey, we need to have an important conversation. We need to have a intensely emotional conversation. Hey, it's really important. I need to speak to you right now. Now, there are times, my friends, where you do need to set up a bit of context, particularly in relationships, like this, we're talking about initial interaction here. But if you've got slightly deeper relationships, post-sexual, 
post-sex penetration, then there is going to be there will be scenarios where contact is recommended, but not in this scenario. In this scenario, it's just to chill, just to adventure, just to have a good time together. That's that's the context for this sesh. So we're down there on the sand, moon and sand. We're down there on the sand. And the way that I'm going to indirectly broach the subject of the fact that she's making it very difficult to love her and that leads me to believe that she has incurred some form of abuse, whether it be physical, mental, or spiritual in some sense, particularly in a sexual space as well. You can kind of feel that. You just get a feel for it. You can definitely just get a vibe for it when there has been some form of sexuality. It's really because it's the way that it's the way that she moves. It's the way that she vibes. If you've learned from women that are very free with their sexuality that have not either have not been abused or have learned to evolve beyond their abuse, their sexuality is very free. The, the, the way the which that their aura around them interacts with yours is very free. You just it's the vibe, it's the feeling. I know it's not very scientific at all. You can't put a you can't nail it down. It's just the way that they are. It's an accumulation of all of them. The sum total of all of them is just very, very loose and free and unfettered so it's very easy if you have experiences with those types of women it's very easy to tell when someone is locked off from that and it comes from a bit of a sexual pain point not that you could know for sure that's what we're endeavoring to find out though i want to find out that's where we start the intent is i just want to know it's like i want to understand when we're coming into trying to understand or coming into wanting our female partner here to enlighten us on what her particular traumatic experiences have been what she's been going through how she deals with them how she interprets them why this is manifesting now why this is not allowing her to put down the spears put down the shields open up the gate in our relationship because our relationship has been nothing but love peace and joy up until this point you know it's we've only known each other one or two dates but for the one or two dates that we've been or however long you guys this is obviously going to be happening in within the Pre, this is going to most of the time be happening pre-sexual connection. So it's got to be even your one first two dates or so. Just speaking generalities there. Why is that affecting us? That's really what we're trying to understand. That's the, the intent of understanding, the intent to get to know what this could be because this now will provide you with much better instructions as to how to handle the situation as to whether this should even be progressed sexually beyond this point, whether we would just be better off as being friends. I talked about the freedom principle before. When others see that you're free, it gives them permission to be free as well. It gives them an invitation to free themselves. It doesn't force them into it. They still have to make the choice to set themselves free. You will never free someone else. They must free themselves. If I wanted someone to open up about their past traumatic experiences, I would start by offering a counterpoint of my own. I'm not going to say to them, hey, tell me about your past traumatic experiences. I'm not going to look them down the barrel and say, hey, I feel like you've got some shit. Tell me about your shit. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to say, hey, you know, there's this one time where I was 16 years old and 
my uh, older brother was out on snow trip, you know, for high school snowboarding in the mountains. And so my stepfather was away with him. And, uh, you know, my mom was uh, at work and I just came home to the house and, you know, it was all good. And my dogs were in there and I was like cooking, pre- pre- preparing dinner and it was all good. And then I went down to the gaming side of the house and all of a sudden I noticed that the front door was smashed in. The bottom half of the front door was smashed in and the gaming room was completely looted. My PlayStation was gone. All the games were gone. Everything was thrown everywhere. And I was like, fuck, we've been robbed. Someone's and they, We had a two-story house where so someone could be upstairs. And so like a lightning bolt had frozen my heart and just fried it, fried it up. I grabbed the dogs and I legged it out of the house. And ever since then, or at least for months beyond that, I couldn't stay at home on my own. I had a real post-traumatic uh, stress disorder that I couldn't stay at home on my own. Anytime I heard a loud noise outside, I thought it was someone breaking in the house. And it took me many, many years. I still have, uh, I had recurring nightmares about this for many, 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 many years. Yeah, so that's a true, true story, by the way. And so I would start by offering a little bit of freedom for myself to talk about something that used to be a very painful experience for me to talk about. Showing this freedom is a indirect, almost, not even almost, it is a subcommunication to her to say that it's okay for you to do so. Now, it's not very sexual, the experience that I just gave you. That's fine. We're opening up the door though, the principle, the door that leads to a room of vulnerability. That's what we're attempting to achieve here with a girl that makes it very hard to love her. We open up the doorway to a room of vulnerability. If I can show her that I'm willing to be vulnerable with her, it invites her to be vulnerable. It's not requesting her though. It's not saying that you must. It's not saying that come with me. She might not. And if she might not, if she, if she doesn't, if she doesn't, because then you might think, well, what if she doesn't enter that room? What if you walk in, you open up the door and you're standing in the room, you're looking out there, but she wants to stand out in the hallway. What to do? It's very unlikely that when you share something of vulnerability, that that person is not going to want to add comment. Listen to the comment. When I've told this story to girls before, the comments come back as, particularly from females, is, you know, does it still, how do you, how do you sleep today? Does it still affect you today? You know, is, are there, are there ways in which that it still affects you today? They always, they always want to know about your current condition. When I talk to males about it, they want to know the logistics of how it all went down. Wait, so how did he smash the front door in? What, how many games did he take? <laughs> but then when you look at a female perspective, they have the far more empathetic and emotional touch point of... How are you feeling about that today? Are you still okay with that today? It's typically, not always, but you know, it's like it will manifest some way of that kind of nature. Elaborate. I continue to elaborate. The more vulnerable that I become, the more comfortable she'll see that I am with it and how that might feel for her. Listen, my friends, as human beings, we all have shit, deep, deep hurt lockers, deep pain, deep sewn wounds. We have all been through this at some stage. You live long enough, you will start to store up something in that her locker. If you live long enough, you will start to, you will incur death. You will incur friends committing suicide, parents being caught up in car crashes with cousins that were caught up in an international disaster. You know, I'm sure it's going to happen to one of you what listen to this. 
we're all going to experience death at some point, whether if not, of course, of our own, but someone around us. And we're not always prepared to deal with those experiences. In fact, I would say that 21st century society has done a tremendous job at unpreparing us or disabling us from being able to deal with traumatic experiences because we're so separated, segregated, divisioned off from each other. We stay in these little boxes and we've got our little umbilical cords that we call smart devices and smartphones that act as surrogate friends and surrogate parents and surrogate eyes and surrogate hearts and surrogate touch because we see their faces through the pixels. We, we see, we get these chemical responses and hits of dopamine when someone likes something, when someone drops a comment and we get enraged and we feel a, we feel a diluted array of emotions through these umbilical cords we call phones and smart devices. But it's nothing in comparison, pales in comparison to what a true human connection is, eye to eye, heart to heart, a chest to chest. So, you show your vulnerability, it's very hard for someone to not be endeared by that. I'm not saying that she's going to floodgate. I have seen that though. I have seen that. I have seen a direct response from female beings that I knew I had that inkling. I can sense that there's something not right here. There's some form of abuse, if most likely sexual, but I need to find out. And I started just being vulnerable with myself. You know, I've had some nasty dreams. Even just that, I've had some nasty dreams in which that I felt like older figures in my life at the time. This is when I was a kid, when I was like 10, 12 years old. I had some nasty dreams. Not that it ever happened in this reality, in waking state reality, but I had some nasty dreams in which that I was abused by older figures. It was only in the dream state, you know, in the subconscious processing of what information is going down in this waking state, but it still feels real, doesn't it? And you know what? It stays with me today. I can literally I can literally run through a particular experience in my mind right now that I've had as a recurring dream from when I was like 10, 12 years old that where I was almost it, it was it was the borderline of sexual abuse by an older figure, but it was in the dreaming state. And so I often if if the PTSD from getting broken in to my house didn't didn't endear her enough to be vulnerable enough of herself i'll go straight to that ticket because that one to me even right now as i'm as i brought up that memory of that sexual abuse dream from when i was really young it it stirred up quite a bit of emotion to me right now like i I feel very hot inside myself right now haven't thought about in a long time actually it used to be quite a recurring dream though throughout my teenage years that one right there is a pretty good ticket. That one right there is because it's ridiculously vulnerable. It, it sometimes brings tears to my eyes. It sometimes you know, it completely adjusts my entire physiological and psychological behavior when retelling that story. I don't know. Should I tell that story now? I'm sure you're all wondering what it was. <laughs> all right. Ha-ha. <laughs> <clears throat> Again, I need to clarify here. This was not in the waking state reality. In the in quotes real world, as you guys would put, as we would all know it to be. 
but it was it was when I was yeah about ten years old or so. No, no, it must have been even younger actually because I remember what city it was in. It was not when I was living in South Australia. It was when I was in Victoria, and it's just it's a it's a as old dreams begin they do, well they don't really have a beginning they don't really have an end it just happens it's just it's, this is what's happening now, and I was in a townhouse in Melbourne where at the time it was just me my mom and my brother separated from my father and as I had been since I was like three years old I was about seven years old at the time when this was happening because that's how I know it was actually younger than ten to twelve because it's, that's when I was in that city I was about seven years old and I had this dream where. I was in this three-level, tiny little townhouse with my mum and my brother, and we're up on the top floor, and it seemed like a scene from Batman, where it was just very, very dark. It's a very dark grey, like late afternoon, almost bordering on night, and we're up in the top level, and they're just there's like it's like almost like an attic, almost top level. It's very cramped and compressed. There's tons of books and. And, and, and beds and, and just shit everywhere in this room. You can barely kind of get around the room. And there's large windows out to the that look out onto the street. And they're the only windows in the room. So you've got this dark room, but it's just these large windows. And there's just kind of very diluted, very, uh, yeah, very diluted light coming in, this kind of murky white light in a way, kind of grayish white light. And... And for some reason, I, I well, for some reason I can't you can't explain anything in a dream. But my mum was pinning me down; she was holding me down. And for not that she ever touched touched me in inappropriate ways, but I was deathly afraid of it, as if I felt that was what she was about to do. And I, for the life of me, I could not overpower. Her. I struggled and I struggled, but she was pinning me down on the on this wooden wooden floor with this this dark room and this weird light coming in and and she never actually touched me inappropriately, but I felt that that was a, the impending action. That was exactly what was about to happen, and that it was just caving in on me. That there was just helplessness, the struggle, and and it just and I just struggled for what felt like. A long time, like I just bring back the memory now. It just it overwhelms me for a little bit. In a sense, it just brings up a lot of heat. And I don't want you guys to get the wrong idea about my mum. I absolutely love my mum. She is one of the greatest presences and influences in my entire life. She's never once ever treated me poorly ever. She is one of the greatest examples of what a mother can be. But for some reason, in this dream, this is not the case. And I felt like I was about to get sexually abused. Like I could feel it. As if it was happening. That's what I'm trying to convey. Even though it wasn't so aggressive to the point where I could say that she ripped my pants off or something like that. It wasn't that. It was, but it felt the emotions of what that would feel like. That's what felt like was been happening. And I couldn't do anything about it. So that's the story. If I can open up with that vulnerability, it often helps most of the time if I've judged it right and I've picked up on the signals right, a girl's going to say, hey, yo, she'll obviously go to console me. She'll see that I'm probably a little distressed in the moment as well, retelling that story. <laughs> like, when I'm telling the story for you guys, I, I'm, I, I didn't do it 100%. I don't want to have a 
I don't want to have a breakdown right now. You know what I'm saying? When I said breakdown, I don't want to derail the podcast. I don't want to take five minutes here just to get to make this about me because it's not what it's about. When I tell that story in real life, I almost always cry or I almost always have a small tear that comes out. I can feel the tear ducts in my eyes kind of welling up a little right now, but I held it back because it's not really the point of what this podcast is about. What the podcast is about is showing vulnerability to allow someone else to open up and to be vulnerable about themselves. Once she's done either hugging me or grabbing or rubbing my hand or, you know, just asking about how I am now and coming to my current day condition. I just let the silence have, I try and look her in the eyes as much as possible as if to say, now it's your turn. Now you tell me something about you. Maybe once, maybe twice I can remember having to say, is there anything that you've ever been through that has caused you a bit of distress? You know, but most of the time, at least eight out of 10 times, the far majority, people will just take that obvious sign of vulnerability to get vulnerable themselves and they won't need a direct, and that's still not even that direct. You just say, have you ever been through some stressful times, been through some distressful things, distressing times? You know, it's not me saying, have you been sexually abused? Like, it's not that direct. But sometimes they need just that little extra push just to say, hey, so is there anything else? Is there anything you can relate to? Is there anything you've been, you know, you can use that in your back pocket. A lot of the time, not necessary though. A lot of the times a girl might just say, well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that or it's, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that story because there was this guy. It's actually my last partner. And, uh, you know, he's, I had my first kid with him when I was 18 years old. And, you know, everything was great to begin with. I thought, this is a guy I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. But then he just turned out to be the biggest piece of shit. He just, he abused me. He abused our child. He would be out late night drinking. I'm sure he was sleeping with other girls. And he would come home and wouldn't give a shit about us. And, and you know, for the first six months, I couldn't even really see it. It was just that this is, I just accepted it. But then it took me... I, after six months, I, I realized that this is the guy. He's just a bad guy. But it took me another two years to get out of that. So it wasn't until I was 21 or 22 that I actually finally left him. And, and I say, so wait, how old are you now? You're 20, I'm 23. Oh, so this is like recently. It's like, yeah, I've only been separated from him for like eight, 10 months. And I've got, I had to get like a restraining order on him. And we have to have these like Zoom calls between his mandated Zoom calls for the equal parents' rights so they can still see the child without actually physically seeing the child. Do the Zoom call thing, and I'm like, wow, okay. Wow, okay, my friends. Where the hell did that come from, huh? So that's a real story. Of course, I will not mention a girl's name. That's a real story. Of a girl that I'm careful with details here. Let me say this to not single her out. I can, I, that was one face to a box of stories I could give you on particularly young MILFs, young girls with children. That's, I've been meeting a lot. I've just been meeting a lot. Now, it might just be because I'm, of course, a little bit older now. I'm 28 now, which is not old, old, but, you know, 28 is not 22. Don't get into me with the worldliness discussion. Otherwise, we'll be on a big tangent. (laughs) If you guys know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. 
<clears throat> the boxer stories. Boxer stories that over the last three years, I would say that, yeah, yeah, girls that have children. I never used to meet girls that had children. Probably because when I was younger, I just... No, no, not even that. That's not a good excuse either for me personally because I've always aged up. I've always been looking to date older women. I've always been learning from older women, always, if not five to ten years older than me, even from when I was 19 years old. My first sexual experience past 19 years old, like I was a virgin before that. Uh, sorry, I, I wasn't a virgin before that. I had sex, many sexual experiences before that, but I'm talking about from 19 onwards when I started my journey of social dynamics actively. Okay, that's, that, even that's not great. <laughs> When I finally turned my life around, when I finally changed my life, there we go. Because I started learning social dynamics at the end of 16, but I didn't truly change my life until I was 19. But the first sexual experience at that point of when I was 19 was with a woman that was 25 at the time. So I've always aged up, but I never came across women that had children, even when I was aging up. I, I don't, I just, I can't really explain that. I can't really explain that. Why can't I explain that? We might be here for a long time if I try and dive into that that rabbit hole. I could sense a lot of factors coming in because of that. You can even we could okay. So let's not get into that rabbit hole. All I can just tell you is that I didn't have a lot of experience with milfs, literal milfs, not just like hot older women, but women with children. Not until the last three years. Now over the last three years, been coming across this a lot, and I find some of the women, some of the girls and women that are hardest to love are the ones that have children, particularly the younger ones. I noticed during the advent and the phenomena of this COVID-19 chaos that's gone across the world, as we all had to move to a heavy investment on online dating, most of the time because you just physically couldn't get out and meet people, depending on where you are in the world now, hopefully you've done away with that. Hopefully you've returned back to normal human interactions, the best ones, the real ones with eye to eyes and heart to hearts. But during the time where even for myself, I had to be using Tinder, had to be using Bumble uh, many, many times a week. Whereas now it's like, I, I haven't swiped on Tinder in weeks. I met a lot of young MILFs during that time. I'm talking about 19, 20, 21s, typically 23, 20, typically 21 to 23s, but there were a couple under 20s that had kids. And what I found very interesting about these girls was that they often appeared like lusting firebirds to begin with. For those that don't know this concept, it's a scale I talk to on receptivity towards masculine energy, particularly when it comes to previous trauma, past history trauma. It's a concept that I first birthed in the Girls of Daddy Issues series you can go on my playlist. You can go on my YouTube channel, The Bowl, and you can type in the playlists, or you just go in the playlist section. There's the Daddy Girls, the Daddy Girls. There's the Girls of Daddy Issues playlist there. There's three parts to it, and I talk about the Ice Turtle Shell versus the Lusting Firebird. Ice Turtle Shell on the far left, Firebird on the far right, Lusting Firebird far right. What it describes is essentially uh, someone or a woman that is adverse to masculine energy as a result of a past history with masculine beings, either as a result of abuse or trauma or lack of attention. And then just in the flip, if you go to the other end of the scale with the lusting firebird, a direct result of the exact same stimulus, either direct abuse or direct neglect, that they now reinterpret it as, well, 
a addiction, a craving for masculine energy because they form a view that that's how masculine beings are and, and I need this. I need this to sustain myself. This is all I know. And so that they will hunger after bad treatment, poor treatment, whereas the ice turtle shell pushes away from all masculine energy, casts all masculine energy as negative, vile, toxic influence, stay away, biohazard. That's the ice turtle shell. So that gives you an example of what I'm talking about when I say ice turtle shell versus lusting firebird. Young milfs, I've been finding that make it very hard to love them, present as firebirds at the beginning, almost always. They, just in my experience, of course, I'm not saying that this is not, it's not possible to meet, no, it's definitely, it's definitely possible to meet young milfs that are ice turtle shells, but not what I've been finding through online dating apps. What I've been finding through online dating apps is that there are a lot of young milfs on them. 21, 20, 21, 22, 23 year olds. 21, 21, 22, 23 year old women. Mm, let me take that back. 21, 22, 23 year old girls. What I'm speaking to there is the difference in psychological development. They have not entered womanhood. They're still girls. They may have had babies, but they have not reached womanhood in terms of their state of psychology. They're not mature beings in terms of their state of psychology. Having a baby does not make you a woman, and sleeping with a woman does not make you a man. To be studied carefully. There are women with babies. There are girls with babies. There are men who have slept with women. There are boys who have slept with women. To be studied carefully. So I've been finding and meeting a lot of girls that have babies and that have young children. Often presenting, very, very rarely presenting as ice turtle shells, if not actually aggressively in the opposite direction, Lusting firebirds, very sexual to begin with. Sending, want to send nudes immediately. Want to talk about dirty, dirty shit immediately. Want to get out on dates immediately. Ah, actually, I need to separate that a little later on. There's a nuance there. Some girls talk a big game and do not walk a big game. But that's not necessarily specific to MILFs. That's just something I've been seeing in particular of younger girls. We need to get to that as well. (laughs) <laughs> we need to get to that one as well. That one kind of fucking lights me up because girls that talk a big game but aren't able to walk it, I'm seeing this a lot these days in comparison to when I was, you know, even just going back, not even that far ago, going back. I keep going. How long was three years ago? That's no, not, no, I would say 2019, before 2019. I've just say, seen the bravado in female beings the ability to talk a big game, particularly younger girls talk a big game, but aren't able to walk it. Fuck, I've got to tell you guys about this. Uh, these three girls I was talking to at the beach the other day. We had a competition. Uh, okay, we're getting into so much shit here. <laughs> this session's really starting to light me up now. Okay, so this I've opened up three different bamboo shoots off this scaffold. So let me just go back to the initial one, which was... Young girls, or young, yes, girls with babies that present as lusting firebirds. Here we go. Very sexual off the bat. Not always, but very, very, very frequently is what I've been noticing. However, the reason why I brought this up is because when I actually get out on dates with these particular girls, a block appears somewhere. Something happens. 
Whereas whether they, maybe they had been talking a big game before and were willing to walk it. I've had that. I've had some girls that have been able to walk it the full way through. And then it's after our first sexual experience, they break down. Some girls, it's not even that. We don't even get to the first sexual, sexual experience. They were just very sexual in the lead up to it. But then as we got out on the first date, they broke down on the first date. And when I'm talking about breakdowns, what I'm talking about here is they just flip in behavior. They just completely, either they go cold, they go really cold, or, and to the point of which that they just stop communicating altogether for no apparent reason. Like, it's not like you said, it's not like I said anything wrong to them or bad to them or that I mistreated them. Oftentimes, though, it's been in a direct response to when I've treated them above average. And the guys give you a little anecdote. Now, everything I'm saying right now is literally just Adam's anecdotes. I'm not even attempting to portray these as general principles. This is literally from my own subjectivity. But as a gentleman does, he walks a lady back to her car at the end of the date. It's what a gentleman does. I don't care about you feminists. I know you're independent. That's fine. I respect your independence. I'm not letting a girl walk home in the middle of the night after our date to her car, even if it was only five minutes walk. I'm, it's not going to happen. Because, and you say, why not? Don't you think she's strong enough? It's not that. It's, it's because she got jacked, held up at gunpoint, raped, abu- just kidnapped. She broke her leg. If anything happened in the time that I was had ability to take care of her it's a it's a hardwired dna thing it's just a gentleman thing is that i'm just not gonna happen not on my watch not on my watch son right so i was like once she gets in her car she's out of my jurisdiction but if we were on a date together it's my responsibility to get her back to her car safe no matter what happens i don't care what you have to say feminists i'm walking her back to her car i'm sorry (laughs) that's it and, you know, most girls appreciate that. No, I've said 99.99% of girls appreciate that. 0.1% will go, nah, I'm fine. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. <laughs> and so, but that's what I mean is that it's like, what do you do in that scenario? Well, I'm not going to force her against her will to have me walk with her. Of course not. But that's what I'm saying is that it's almost never happened. If I'm saying it's 99.99% times, most women say, oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Most women are very appreciative when you show a little bit of class, a little bit of, a little bit of care, you know. And it's not like we're hanging out in areas where I think she's going to get raped or kidnapped. It's that you just don't know what's going to happen. So cover your bases. You don't want to be on third base with a catcher's mitt. Shout out to Chell Sonnen. <laughs> I'm going to stand on third base with Gatsman. So, so, all right, the reason why I brought that whole walking thing up, why don't we just go into fucking walk tactics? <laughs> why are we going to walk walk to the car tactics? Maybe I went to one of those walk of the car tactics is because I've noticed that with a lot of these young MILFs that when the date has been amazing, like really amazing, perfect almost in a sense, that the connection was so on, the sexual energy was so lit up, it's so raging and intensified with the passion and romance between us. And it's just everything, it's just like it could not have gone better. I've had this multiple times, could not have gone better. You know, the makeout was there, the kiss was there. Even if the kiss and makeout wasn't there, we had held each other in tight embrace and t- in tight caress. And and so, and we walk back to the car and, you know, that's it. And it's just, and then all of a sudden, nothing. 
Oh, I'm gonna, no, 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 not nothing. That's not right. Linger effect is there as well. So then you get, and so the way that you know, because you guys might think, well, how, Adam, how do you know that you're just not, you know, buffing it up, that you're not just, you know, waxing your own wheels? It's because you get the linger effect. We talk about this quite deeply in which date podcast? Secret to Amazing Dates. It's, I think it's the Secret to Amazing Dates. We talk about linger effect a lot. Or it's the guide to day threes. We talk about linger effect. One of those two, I'm pretty sure it's the secret to amazing days. We talk about the linger effect a lot. And actually, I talked about the linger effect a lot in a recent podcast on this channel. I just can't remember which one it was, but we did a really long section on it, like a really in-depth section on it. But basically, the linger effect is that when a man performs and a masculine being performs his role correctly, he will receive that text afterwards. When the woman just checks off, hey, thanks for a great time. If the man incepted the date and goes, hey, you know, if I had to go put in the energy and the, have the courage and the confidence to go up to her, even in the bar, the street, whatever, to instigate the date and to lead through the date, to create the adventure, to create the space in which this connection would be, it always falls upon the feminine being to send that linger afterwards. You know, the, the man should adorn the mindset of that, hey, this is over now at the end of this experience. Hey, it's over now. If I never hear from him again, that's fine. We had a great time. I did the best I could. You know, the man should not find himself in a position afterwards having to request her attention, having to beg for her to see him again. He should be trusting and confident in that he performed his role timely and efficiently to a high standard. If he did so, the woman will always come back and say, thanks for a great time. Had a really good time. Thanks for such a lovely night. It was really nice of you to walk me back. Etc. Etc. That is the linger effect. Just the woman checking off and just letting you know, hey, it was good. And why, my friends? Because that is her way of telling you, ask me out again. Come at me again. Shoot for me again. Without her having to directly say, hey, can we go on another date? Because, of course, that's not socially savvy. But just by saying, hey, had a really nice night. Well, of course, that would infer, let's have another nice night. Let's get it again. This, this is very basics, like absolute fundamental social dynamics, but I have to go through it as if people don't understand it because what's basics in social dynamics and what seems baby to me, I do understand most people do not understand. There are billions of males out there that would think that after a date, even if they did well, even if they did do well, that they would have to send the first text going, oh, I had such a great night. Hope to see you again. Jesus Christ. And (laughs) And that's why those girls never come back to see them again, you know? So that's where we've got to go through the basics when, when a basic touches on. So anyways, so getting the linger effect, so we just went to a bit of a bit of a crash course on the linger effect there for a second but but so what i was saying the way that i know that i'm not waxing my wheels that i that i'm not just blind and thinking that it was a amazing day no it was an amazing day because we got that linger effect afterwards and she let me know whether it's in the car afterwards and she's like okay so you know feel free to call me anytime feel free to see me another time you know be definitely down to get this again if not in person she gives you linger effect that's when you know it's very intense that's when you know it's a very highly performing date on both ends that she's giving you a linger effect before you've even left each other, let alone afterwards when she sends you that message and sends you that text, when she gets home saying, hey, I still smell like you, still got your scent on me, can still feel you around me, you know, whatever it might be. 
I've received this, I've had experiences like that, had those linger effects with these young MILFs, and then it goes cold. That's what I was trying to get to. Then all of a sudden they just drop off. Despite it was despite the magic, Disney magic-like intensity of what we had just experienced, they just got cold. Or if not absolute cold, and I've had that a couple of times where they just went absolute cold, and then maybe a month later, they send me a text back, this, this very aloof text saying, hey, sorry, my phone was broken. Uh, I hope you're well. <laughs> and it's like, you went radio silence for four weeks, and then you send a text back saying, uh, you know, because of that's after the linger effect as well, by the way, it's after the linger effect. So she'd already sent me a text saying, Hey, you know, I was, had a great night, had a great time together. And I'm like, yeah, for sure. Let's hit it up next weekend. And she goes, okay, yeah, this time it might work a little bit better. And I say, okay, does Sunday work? And then nothing. And then it just goes dead. Ice turtle for four or five weeks. Then you get a text after that for four or five weeks saying, Hey, sorry. Uh, my phone was broken. I totally forgot. My message didn't come through. And it's like, Stop shooting it. You don't need to lie. Just tell me what happened. When I've had to respond to those messages, when those messages come back, you guys are probably wondering, what do you say, Adam? What do you do? What I say is that I call it forward, not calling them out, not trying to be aggressive about it, but just saying, like that, that example I just gave you is a real example of having an amazing day. It was literally like something out of an absolute movie. And then, you know, walked it back to a car and had the linger effect afterwards. We were arranging for the next date and then she just went on radio silence for four weeks and then comes back afterwards saying, hey, sorry, my phone was broken. I didn't, didn't even remember to check this app. It's WhatsApp. You know, it's a messaging app. You don't have to check it. You get notifications. Anyways, thank you very much for diving into today's session. It was great to have you here and I'd love your feedback. If you want to send me a message on either social media, on Instagram or on Facebook or through the website, all the links are down below. That'd be greatly appreciated. And if you would like to help to support the podcast, you can donate anything that you wish through the PayPal link or through boldoja.com. Again, all the links down below. Also, if you're not signed up to the free weekly email newsletter, The Bold Sip, you can do so over at boldoja.com. Just a quick sip of Social Dynamics, a little cheeky article. It's free every single week. Comes out on Fridays, Australian time, and also some other sexy updates from the rest of the universe and any other things that I think you guys need to know about that will not get censored over on social media. If you'd like to book one-on-one coaching sessions, create action plans, and overcome limiting beliefs to help you move forward in your life across any area of the temple, whether it be purpose, physical, mental, or social development, you can reach all of that through boldojo.com. Send me an email there if you're not quite sure, but you can check out the Bowl coaching memberships or just once-off sessions. And I look forward to diving deeper with you. You can also pick up the guided meditation, Eternal Energy, on boldojo.com. A nice five-track, eh, we call it an album, but it's actually more of a course. Just diving deep into who you are and evolving beyond. If you'd like to help support this podcast, you can donate anything that you wish through the PayPal link, which is paypal.me forward slash Adam Uwe, A-D-A-M-O-O-I. Or also directly on boldojo.com in the Boldojo podcast section. There's a direct link through the website if you want to donate through that as well. And anything that you guys donate is always most appreciated and just goes back to help supporting this show and everything that I'm doing here at The Bowl. So thank you very much. And finally, I wish you all the strength and power as you move forward in this life. Not only learning how to interact better with other people, but learning how to interact better with yourself. Much peace and much joy. Ciao.